Welcome to episode 31 of the Tech Gypsies podcast. I'm Audrey Waters. And I'm Ken Lane. And I'm horrified. I'm just the saddest I've ever been in a long, long time. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I, I hardly know, I hardly know where to start, to be honest. Um, uh, I, Maybe for future listeners, we should, we should explain what happened this week. Um, <laughs> I don't think anybody in the current time uh, is going to not know what happened anywhere in the world. But, but right, um, somebody who just like decides to listen, you know, five years down the road, they might not know why the week of... Um, November uh, 8th was um, so unfun. The, their podcast was so great right up until episode 31 where things went really, really dark. <laughs> where Audrey burst into tears and <laughs> yeah, uh, Trump, President Trump. Yeah. Um, the, basically the, as it, the numbers I just crunched, I went to all 50 sites and crunched the uh, the ballots and pulled in the data and, you know, uh, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. Um, and, uh, rather, Trump su- rather substantially, uh, rather substantially and increasingly. So I'm still, I'm going to keep updating the numbers and it, and it looks like that, that will only grow. Um, California has a lot to, to keep putting in. So yeah. Yeah. The she, estimates are by, she will probably win by now they're saying by about, Two or three million dollar or million dollars million votes. She will be the presidential candidate to have received the second most number of votes in history after Barack Obama in two thousand and eight. Yeah, but she lost. Yeah, the electoral college um, uh, just uh, basically gave um, made sure that uh, Donald Trump. Uh, is now our president, and then elect. also president elect. P- president elect, excuse me. Yes, and um, and then also they take over the House and the Senate. They being uh, the Republicans, the, which we should perhaps distinguish from the white supremacist, um, KKK, <laughs> authoritarian, totalitarian Trump regime. Perhaps. I mean, I think that that's actually open for debate right now. Yeah, I mean, I want to clarify. I mean, why I'm so saddened is not. Um, as a lot of my conservative friends like to point out, that my party lost. Um, actually, I don't identify as strongly as a Democrat. I vote that way because we have a two-party system. I'm not the super biggest fan of Hillary, but I am a fan of people caring for each other and taking taking care of each other. And for me, you know, this this election started out as being uh, pretty much, you know, uh, business uh, corruption, capitalist corruption uh, against government corruption. And then um, as the election progressed and the primaries came to, we saw um, racism, uh, sexism, uh, religious, uh, you know, uh, uh, just just fanaticism, white supremacy trickle in and just flood in on the the Trump side of the campaign, which is really why I'm upset is that um, there's a whole bunch of my my people, meaning white men um, around my age that basically don't see uh, the racism, the sexism, uh, the religious fanaticism 
and only see this as the t the corruption against corruption, and they don't really see what the big problem is. Uh, so I'm just sad that we that we're also blinded by capitalism that we can't see these other things. I'm I'm horrified. I'm I'm actually very I'm actually very frightened. Um, I'm frightened for my queer friends. I'm frightened for um, friends of color. I'm frightened for women, particularly young women. I'm frightened for my Muslim friends. I'm frightened for people who are immigrants and refugees. I'm frightened for people around the world who might have plans to visit this country. Um, I, I think that we are in for a very, very dark period in which a lot of the things that Americans have taken for granted as being um, sort of bedrock principles um, of this country are actually sort of directly under attack by by Donald by Donald Trump, and it comes it's under attack. I mean, I think he's an authoritarian, um, and under attack in ways that are specifically white supremacist um, and uh, Islamophobic, which is I think you know I mean I think people like to say well Muslim being Muslim isn't a religion, but I think that Islamophobia, or excuse me, being Muslim isn't a race, but Islamophobia is actually, I think, a form of racism. Um, and I feel as though we are, a, we, are, we are about to usher in someone who has made it very clear that he does not believe in the First Amendment. And I don't just mean that in terms of the people who are on the streets protesting, that he's criticized and challenged them. Um, but I mean the First Amendment in ter terms of the right to free speech, and the freedom of the press. And he has people on his team uh, who have actively worked just this past year to crack down on the freedom of the press. And I think we're seeing some very chilling things um, already come to pass, predictions that people, you know, people say, I've heard a lot of, I've heard a lot of white people say it's not going to be that bad. And I, I fear that it's actually going to be quite worse and I'm I'm actually really I'm deeply deeply offended at the white people that I know who seem to be sort of blithely uncommitted and uninterested in the suffering of people already in just the the three three or four days since the election I mean the Southern Poverty Law Center has collected hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of racially motivated attacks and crimes and threats since the, ele since the election. Um, swastikas, swastikas sprayed places all over this country, swastikas. Well, I think when you're, um, when you spent your life isolated around people who look and act just like you and you don't have friends um, and people that you care about of color, and, and, and you don't surround yourself with diversity. I don't think you know what you don't know. And that's what I feel particularly blindsided by um, out of the rhetoric. One of the lines that I keep hearing from the election uh, repeated on both sides of, uh, from both parties um, on my Facebook is, is we'll drain the swamp. And this really strikes a blow for me because um, you and I ha ha have have done some time living in the swamp. Um, I've spent the last three years working um, for free um, to working on a, a variety of issues from uh, s 
financial student aid, to veterans uh, benefits and, and open health care data, to energy data, to uh, 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 on, on the Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act. to Parks data. Parks data, opening up national parks data. So it just didn't go out to the highest bidder again for the next 10 years. And there was actually open data and APIs so people can build on this. So I've been working um, as well as... A, 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 a large number of my friends at, at various agencies within groups like the Office of Science and Technology Policy, U.S. Digital Services, and 18F, um, and we've all been working very hard uh, to change how government operates. And for um, for a lot of my friends to believe in some fantasy that we're just going to usher in a person, um, a single person, very much uh, people had their hopes pinned on Barack Obama. I think everyone thinks that, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders could have come in, any single person come into D.C. and just flash, a, you know, flash their wand, flick their fingers, and there is change is just... Um, delusional and and makes me extremely sad that I feel like I've been down in this valley with a, a, a bunch of people fighting a fight for the last three years and a bunch of my friends in my own army and my own group just launched a, a shot a bunch of arrows in and killed off a bunch of people where I feel like uh, you know people of of color and and LGBTQ folks that are working in government there's quite a few people I know that are probably going to have to be dealing with other issues like whether they're going to be able to still be married to their partner rather than spending time dealing with procurement issues and contract issues and people both on the left and the right um, that are on my Facebook um, seem to think that, you know, uh, by changing parties, uh, you're going to get rid of Washington. You're going to get rid of all these things that you, you, you purportedly hate and fear. And it's all going to be better when it's always just a shift of priorities and then bringing this home to, um, you know, the concerns you talked about is the shifts of priorities are racist, uh, sexist, xenophobic, uh, Islamophobic. And, um, and with many of the mechanisms in place that I've been battling and, and working to shine light on um, from the NSA to the military cyber units to uh, things that are going on at, at the FBI and other law enforcement agencies, as well as police uh, forces across the U.S., um, you're basically going to take these these uh, very dangerous mechanisms that are in place and hand them over um, some very troubling, already troubling things over to to this administration. And I think where this continues to dovetails with your and I world is is like we've been battling for the last three or four or five years is transparency around Google and Facebook and and the surveillance tech economy that that you and I work every day to battle um these people seem to be kind of dovetailing with all of this nicely and just seeing this as potentially opportunity um so just to clarify a couple of of things that you said because um I just want to make it really clear for people who are listening um that when people the one of the chants of the Trump um, people at rallies at the at, for for Trump was drain the swamp um, as a reference to um, Washington D.C., which is sort of built in a very swampy <laughs> part of Virginia slash Maryland. If you've ever been there in August, you understand why the federal government or why you know uh, why parts of the federal government, not all of the federal government, but but why Congress at the very least, um, the Supreme Court 
takes a break in, in August because it's very humid and very hot. It's a swamp. So draining the swamp is a, is a reference just both to the geography of D.C., but also to this notion that it's full, it's sort of that it, it needs to be um, bulldozed and, and uh, changed. Um, I of, just course, took, of course, the sirens. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but just the... I, I just, real quick, I just took my, all my... All, my suits to dry clean because I feel like I'm going to be needing my suits here. Uh, and all the collars had this brown uh, <laughs> stripe around them from us living in D.C. and um, being nasty. a particularly sweaty, nasty individual while I was there. Um, but then to clarify, too, that you use the word friends there several times. And I want to make it really clear that the friends that you I think that you have friends who were working in D.C., um, um, working for these various agencies and working actually, I think, outside of various agencies as well in order to um, sort of actually work on some of these problems about uh, about the way in which our, our, our governments work. But then you kept saying friends on Facebook. And I think by that, just to clarify, you mean perhaps people that you grow up with um, who are, and more generally people perhaps who are, who work outside, who, who don't, have the insight that you do into the operation of of government. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there's there's definitely a spectrum there. Um, some of them work inside of government. Um, some work outside of government, but live in D.C. Um, working on things like uh, open referral, which help people find government services. Um, things that 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 help make the world a better place. And these people, you know, they're definitely my allies and friends. And I, I say that term loosely because kind of purposefully in a in a Facebook kind of context. And and I would I would add the layer. They're not just people I grew up with. I'm, I'm not just pointing the finger there. These are people, startup folks that I've known in Silicon Valley um, across country. Some of them have fled San Francisco in the last couple of years. So really, a lot of these people are spread across the country and the world. And and I use friends loosely, but some of them are my are my true friends, like good friends, and I feel like they're allies. Some of them, um, I I was under the influence they were, and I, and like I said, I I feel somewhat undermined. But I think the the friend aspect and using that, especially well, in a Facebook context, <laughs> is, is pretty key. Yeah, no, I think, and I think that this is one of. I mean, I, I hope we can sort of chat a little bit about the sort of actually this dilemma that Facebook has us in right now in terms of democracy, but also in terms of important words like friend. Like I think it gets really, um, it, it's it's uh, Facebook is sort of flattened f- friend the meaning of friend in terms of the the level of transaction um, that occurs there. But just to clarify, I think the distinction perhaps that you're making are people who understand the um, how what what the federal bureaucracy looks like, and then those people who voted for. For Donald Trump, believing his be, believing his promises that he was going to be the anti-establishment candidate, and that somehow by electing Trump, that sort of everyone in Washington D.C., everyone in Washington D.C. who has a government job loses their job, and then we get to bring in a fresh crop of um, outsiders, right? People from outside the Beltway, people who've never worked in government before to quote unquote fix things, which I think is so ridiculously naive as to how um, how government works. Um, which, which just, 
I mean, is is when I when I leave the the area of sadness and all this and just really how heavy my heart is, I move into the uh, into the realm of just how fucking pissed off I am and how betrayed. Um, I feel like there's there's a number of people in my family, close circles, people I grew up with, that have were totally oblivious to all my posts, all my writing, all my work when I talk about the stuff that I've done with the national parks, the stuff that I've done with Blue Button VA Open Data, the stuff that I've done with the IRS Modern E File System. All of this work, they're just like, oh, this is over our head. What's Ken doing? Something API, blah, 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 blah. And not getting involved, not supporting me, not not donating money, not doing anything for us, not helping me clean up spreadsheets, data, scrape, pull information and doing any of this work. And then um, basically just kicked me in the fucking gut by believing in this bullshit rhetoric that's not going to drain the snob, not going to change things. It's just going to heavily shift priorities. And there are good people and bad people in Washington, D.C. already. This won't change. This will just usher in a whole lot more bad people and push out a lot of the good people. And the fact that people don't understand the nuances of what government does and how much their life depends on government, that it cannot just go away. We need roads. We need the fucking internet. We need the uh, we need a regulated telco system. We need. I food like clean water. I like clean water. I like food that doesn't poison me. I I'm not a big fan of lead in my water. There are a number of things that government does, and I know most of these people are taking Social Security, are taking uh, you know, lo- enjoying services from the government, and so to just believe in some fucking fairy tale that the government's going to go away and our lives are going to be better is just some crazy crazy fantasy and to to have been dedicated your life to working on this and have people blindly follow that rhetoric is just really really uh, a kick in the gut makes me sad makes me angry makes me very less tolerant of of the ignorance that i'm seeing being propagated by the very social media tools by the APIs that I've been working to keep transparent and open so we can understand why Facebook influences this way, why Twitter influences us this way. And people just don't seem to want to understand this. They just want to fall in line behind whatever bullshit rhetoric speaks to them at the moment. And that's why I want to take the term, I'm going to keep railing on the drain the swamp, but the swamp is going to be um, ignorance and, and the lack of digital literacy among the masses. That that is the swamp. That is that is the swamp we need to drain, and we need to figure out how to. Uh, you know, I see the 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 fake news on on Facebook as that sludgy, nasty water in the swamp. We need to drain that, and we need to figure out how to bring people up to speed to be more literate. I don't want to fall backwards and have to cater to these fucking Trump voters. Um, the 25% was not a half of this country. It was 25% of this country. I'm going to focus on the other 50% that that for some reason didn't feel like they needed to vote. They didn't, don't need to get involved. They can just check out. And I think we need to address that and, and drain the swamp and and bring some digital literacy to the masses. I like swamps. Um, I'm a fan of Kermit. I think Kermit the Frog lives in swamps. I'd like to drain the swamp that Pepe the Frog lives in. Um, <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, thinking about these promises of, of shrinking the government, and I think that your point is really dead on about the priorities, because, of course, the priorities of an authoritarian 
right, like Donald Trump, are not to get rid of government. It's to get rid of certain regulations that per- would, 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 according to this ideology, make it easier for businesses to do things. I mean, frankly, make it easier for our water and our air to be poisoned, but make it easier for businesses to do things. But I think because of the, his authoritarian tendencies, we're also going to see a mass expansion in government, in government services, particularly around military, police, and prisons. Um, just today, Trump said that he plans to deport 3 million people immediately when he takes office. Um, just for a little perspective, um, Barack Obama, during his administration, has deported 2.6 million undocumented immigrants. So, and that's, you know, we're, that's um, over the course of seven years. So Trump plans to do more than that immediately, and that's going to require a great deal of government expenditure, government expenditure on police, government expenditure on prisons, government expenditure on law, legal surroundings, but I think, and you know, to bring it back to the tech, which we've sort of alluded to here and there, but it's going to actually require surveillance um, and figuring out how to take advantage of the data that we already have, that we've already collected about where undocumented are, where they live, where they work. Um, they pay taxes, unlike Trump, right? These people, take pay, many of them pay taxes using technology, using databases, using machine learning, using algorithms, using surveillance, using computer technologies, to identify and locate these people and send send ICE right after them, and I think that this is to me that this is to me this is you know you've been working on a lot of things with making sure we can retain some of the open data. For me, my challenge is I really want people to stop collecting data. Private companies, particularly schools um, and education technology companies, because what we've done right now is we've taken the last two administrations, which have really consolidated a lot of power in the executive branch. And the last couple of, I mean, I would say the last decade or so, an expansion of computer technologies that have really concentrated data collection in the hands of private companies like Facebook and Google. Um, And we've handed the keys to that over to, again, over to a white supremacist authoritarian. And I'm really really frightened about the the prospect of, of what that's what that's going to look like. And again, we have historical precedents that we can look at, right? I mean, we've, we've, seen, this, we've seen this story before. We've seen the way in which um, computing companies, machine companies, um, have been used by, used by totalitarian regimes to identify those that are deemed undesirable, to round them up, and to ship them off to camps. This I, mean, I, I, I would evolve that definition of what I've been doing. I have been advocating for open data, but um, it's not so that it's, it's, it's a hippie utopian. Hey, everyone's got open data. So we know what people are, are collecting on us. We're aware what Facebook has on us and what Twitter has us. And by using APIs and OAuth, you can uh, have some vote in, in how that's used. You can have data portability and use this. So I think this is the time 
where the people who have been listening to me as far as opening up your data and APIs and sharing what you're collecting and doing is be even more transparent about that. What do you have and go through it? You know, that's why I push on people to do APIs. So you get to know the resources you have. You understand the, the data, the content, and the algorithmic resources that you possess. Inventory them, document them, make them available, and share them with the users that they touch and impact. And even before that, as you're doing that, look at this data and go, should I have this data? Do I want to have this data when someone comes knocking on my door? And I, I published a tweet or just hit a tweet this week. I'm going to work on it as a story this week as LavaBit as the precedent. And the example is LavaBit um, was a, a, an encrypted email provider back in um, 2013 and 14 when um, things were heating up with the whole NSA. And rather than handing over their customers and clients information, they went out of business. So I think when it comes to the tech space, we've already seen some of the, the bigger players and 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 money power people um, switch gears and, and say they're on Team Trump, President Team Trump, because of the opportunity. I think there's going to be a lot of companies who get a knock on their door and are going to have to make some really hard decisions. And some of those decisions are going to involve going out of business or handling handing over your personalized your consumer data the things that you were tracking on so that you could better sell things to people make your tools act and work better but now you're going to be asked to give up that the, that demographic data for other uses so in 1933 one of the first things that the Nazi government did was conduct a census um, they conducted a census of all Germans um, but they felt as though they actually didn't get correct data about who was Jewish, right? They asked for a re religious identification, but they didn't feel as though everyone who was a Jew had actually um, revealed or reported that they were Jew, right? Because they were the difference between people who were practicing Jews and those who were sort of culturally Jews. And then, of course, in the Nazi ideology, those who had a drop of Jewish blood to them. So the, the Nazi regime uh, hired IBM, hired IBM to sort of f go through, filter the data, analyze the data, collect more data, um, use big sort of what, the, what were at the day, in their day, big data plus machine learning technology, machine, te I would say machine learning, machine technology in order to ascertain who might be, who might have a, a, drop, of, a drop of Jewish blood. Um, and so there are ways in which it's not just the data that we collect, right? It's not just the data that these companies collect. It's the inferences that are going to be made about them. And again, I find it, you know, Peter Thiel, his company is Palantir Technologies. It has contracts. It's funded by the CIA. He's, it has a number. This is what Palantir does is sort of analyzes data and makes inferences about um, about. Um, people and businesses and organizations based on you know based on the based on data, um, you know Teal is part of Trump's transition team. And again, like you know when when, when you have someone who's an anti-Semite, um, who's the head of a media organization appointed as Trump's chief strategist, when you have a when you have a campaign that's very careful, it's very commonly sort of done anti-Semitic dog whistles, but the, who seems really willing to sort of um, be 
uh, use sort of some of these technologies to identify people. I mean, I think we have a lot. I think we have a lot to worry about. Um, and I think, you know, I think that we have a lot to worry about in terms of the the, the data that's being collected on us. Um, but I think that we also have a lot to worry about with the stories that are being told to us. Um, again, through another one of Peter Thiel's um, investments, and that's through Facebook. Yeah, and I mean the, you know, I think some people are going to snicker at the 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 Jewish comparison of all of this, and they just like they can't happen in this time period. There's swastikas <laughs> being spray painted all over this country. Agreed, and and what I fear is that this is is very much akin to 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 the Muslim uh, rhetoric and the, the Islamophobia. Is I've seen quite a few places and conversations on my Facebook timeline of people saying, you know, Muslim is not a race, and what Trump's saying is not racist, and they're they're splitting hairs, and when. And then when you put these people on the street and say, pick out the Muslims, they're going to point out Hindus. They're going to point out people of color. Mexicans, they're going to right. Pe- Brown people. They're, they're going to pe- pick out people that look different, that have different clothing, and basically very much the same things that they're going to use when it comes to uh, making racist decisions. So um, I, I find it very scary that they, they love to point out, hey, I'm, I'm just about the facts. Muslims, not a race. You know, I'm really, you know, they're splitting hairs and doing these. But really, when it comes down to it, they're going to be very much like the algorithms. They're not going to be able to, it's going to be hazy. It's going to be fuzzy. And when you start talking about doing this in mass, this is when it gets scary. And, and, and I'm already seeing a lot of it is people don't believe the, the, the messages about uh, swastikas being painted and, and people, uh, Muslims having, you know, being attacked and, and is because they don't see it in their neighborhoods. They don't see these things in their neighborhood. They don't, uh, they've isolated themselves and they feel like they're under attack. And so they're, uh, you know, in these defensive positions and, um, you know, I don't know what, what it's going to look like. I mean, I don't want to just spread fear. It's it's honestly like this is not changing for me. This has been what you and I have been doing for the last five years is trying to uh, pull the curtain back on. <laughs> I, on... I have been warning people for a very yes. long time. And so for people to say, hey, you know, this heightened rhetoric, this heightened fear tactic, um, actually look, read both of our blogs. This is nothing new. We've been pointing the finger at Silicon Valley, been trying to make APIs more open. I've been in Washington pushing back on the Obama administration to do things. So this actually isn't new. We've been pushing back on the police, the militarization of our police in preparation for just this perfect storm moments. Uh, So it's not just because of Trump. This just kind of ratcheted up a, a couple notches. And and for people to not say that's of concern really was not in tune to what he was saying. And, you know, we shouldn't have to go find sources and, and cite things. If you were at all tuned into any of his speeches or any of the debates, you heard it. You you, you know what he's thinking. Well, I, I mean, I just want to tie one other, one other piece because I think on one hand, I mean, on one hand it does seem... Um, it's, it does seem as though some of the rhetoric means that if we are to have, I mean, you know, has Donald Trump, is, is Donald Trump going to ask Muslims in this country to register, similar to the ways in which, you know, Nazi Germany demanded Jews, you know, Jews in order to identify themselves with some sort of, um, you know, with a yellow star. Um, so I think it's partially about, it's partially um, about identifying 
who is Muslim. Um, but I also think, you know, Newt Gingrich has said that he would like to, to reinstitute the House Un-American Activities Committee. And I think that that is investigating, I mean, I think that it's not, it's not too far of a bridge to sort of see that that's going to be investigations of Black Lives Matter. So the implications are there as well. And then finally, I think that this is actually at its core still, despite pointing to Muslims, I think that at its core, the people who are closest to advising Trump are also deeply anti-Semitic. And I think that the, the I mean, Bre this is what Breitbart News, where Steve Bannon was the, um, was the uh, CEO, this was sort of, this is, this is their, this is their thing perpetuating these vast global conspiracies of the, the banks and, of course, the media are run by Jews. And the fact that Trump, at all of his rallies, had the media stand behind fences, that he rounded them up and encouraged, he encouraged his, the people at his rallies to jeer and mock and throw things, and he called them out, but he called out journalists by name. He called them out by name, I think, that is, it actually is fueling, it, again, it's this, it is this anti-Semitic dog whistle. Um, and again, when people say, I don't believe it, because I don't believe the news, I don't believe the mainstream media, um, actually, the undertone for me is, I don't believe the mainstream media because it is a vast Jewish conspiracy run, you know, run by media, Jewish media moguls in Hollywood and, and Manhattan. So there is still very much this anti-Semitic undertone to the attacks on the media. And there have, like, there have been, like, the, this undermining of, of journalism by the Trump campaign, by Trump himself personally, um, but then working quite happily hand-in-hand hand with the tech industry that has been touting for the last couple of years how excited it was to disrupt media, to be able to um, offer, as Mark Zuckerberg says, you know, a diversity of perspectives. And again, undermining the authority and the expertise of, of publications like the New York Times, like the Wall Street Journal, like the LA Times, um, and, and instead encouraging people to turn to these alternative news sites, not just Breitbart, but just sort of like these, these, these news sites that have sprung up out of nowhere that are really in the business of selling conspiracy theory, right? They're selling fake news. And a, some of it is connect, some of it is connected to Russian propaganda. A lot of it is just connected to the business model that the tech sector has decided to run with, which is advertising. And it's this really vicious cycle. Um, and I'll put in the show notes, Mike Caulfield's in a couple of um, interesting posts just today on, you know, the, the Facebook really lives and and has been pushing fake news. Um, and, it, you know, I don't, I don't think we can pick one reason why Trump won, one reason why Clinton lost. I think that there are a variety of factors, voter suppression, not campaigning in Wisconsin, a lot of reasons, you know, FBI Director Comey's letter, but certainly the misinformation of a vast number of people, we've talked about this before, you know, the, the people in this country who increasingly get their news from Facebook and are being misinformed, um, I think, is something that the tech sector, the tech sector has to own this one. And unfortunately, I think that they might 
that they're they seem to actually be quite happy to go along go along with this um, this new regime. Well, this is I mean this is what what I'm struggling with right now is yes the the overt white supremacist clearly um, you know anti what I feel is everything that America's about an immig- a country made of immigrants those people are easily identifiable they easy to identify as a threat uh, you know and I know this will come to as news to you you've probably never thought of this is the 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 people the the white men who have the money that are uh don't realize that they're racist that seem to love capitalism um more than anything that seems to be their religion and and are often willing to overlook things this is what seems to really scare me because that just seems like a much wider slippery surface and and you can't identify that you're walking on it and and i feel like these are the people that um you know these are the people who 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 voted for trump because they really don't like women these are the people who voted for gary johnson because they just really don't like women and they couldn't stomach trump and these are the people who are are doing startups and 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 they scare me and these are you know these are the ones that i'm worried are gonna you know um enable all of this open the doors um give up the personalized data and 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 make make this show uh become center stage and and out in the open uh yeah i mean it it is i think that it is really going to be bleak um i think it's going to be bleak in terms of like i said some of the basic some of the basic principles of democracy that trump has already i mean trump has already been such an exceptional candidate for the things that he's done and said um his lack of political expertise his his refusal to release his his tax information um his willingness to embrace um and not actually repudiate the kkk um is uh really un- is absolutely unprecedented um i fear that i fear that this will be a very difficult four years um i can be hopeful and say that people will resist i mean i i i i actually cannot i can't i I'm, it upsets me too much to think how many people seem to actually want to have an authoritarian leader I can't actually even go there because I, I want to believe that Americans believe in democracy. I, I want to believe that Americans don't want a dictator. It seems like a lot of Americans are quite interested in having a dictator. I, I hope otherwise. But I think that what frightens me the most, if I had to pick one thing that frightens me more than, more than anything, really, um, is that we are teetering on, the, on, on a planetary apocalypse that is irreversible, right? We we are already, the planet is already warming up. The polar ice caps are melting. Species are dying, and we've not we've not stopped that direction. We've slowed it down, but not we haven't stopped it sufficiently. And I'm afraid we've just selected somebody who is gonna um, to you know to borrow a phrase from Secretary of the Interior uh, Sarah Palin, drill baby drill. And I, I fear, I fear that we've fucked the planet, and that, me, and then that means we've fucked the planet for our children, we've fucked the planet for our grandchildren, um, and that this isn't even about sort of like the rise of a, you know, a global totalitarian, um, uh, neo-nationalist regime. This is actually just like the end of Earth. 
Well, I'm, uh, I don't want to end on that too dark of a note. I mean, I think many of our podcasts here are going to end pretty dark in the com- in the next couple of years. But um, I'm hopeful that, that, that we can resist and, and we can push back. It's sad that thing, so many things we've already been working on are going to be further set back, um, like the environment, like you said, and that the capitalist machine just seems to be rolling forward. And as we've talked about in previous weeks, that... You know, um, people are plugging in, uh, you know, security cameras because they're afraid physically of their space. And then these cameras are being co-opted and targeted as part of free speech efforts, uh, you know, or to shutter free speech efforts and and shutter people um, who are saying things online that they don't agree with. And and these the this class of people plugging in these cameras, printers, DVRs, and all the the comforts of home um, are are just kind of oblivious to what's going on. So. Um, I'm hope I'm hoping things get bad enough here that I, I, I don't think we're gonna we're gonna save the world. I, I think things are gonna keep getting bad, but I hope uh, enough of us um, rally together and and can make this livable. Um, I, you know, I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna s- subscribe to end times and 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 that everything is gonna go to shit. I think we're fucking cockroaches and we're gonna be around for a long time. But um, I, I think it's gonna take a bunch of us working together to make uh, make this world a, a livable place. I would say that for me, um, I've tried to have explicitly anti explicitly anti racist. Um, like practices at the center of my own work on education technology. And that's sort of how I've wanted to center my work for the last couple of years. And when we talk about what can education technology do to make sure that it's explicitly anti-racist. Um, so for me, I mean, it's, it's doubling down on, on, on that work. Um, I have to add to that now, like to, you know, to build an ed tech anti-fa, right? So explicitly anti-fascist work. Um, in in education technology, um, but you know again, despite all of the promises of sort of this global network um, c- connected through the internet, connected through the web, I think it's really important for many people right now to look local, to do things locally, to work lo- locally, to support your local newspaper. I mean, it's awesome. Like s- subscribe to the New York Times, subscribe to Hack Education, hell, but also like support. Support your local newsletter. Support your local news or your or your no- local news organizations. Support local um, local uh, community groups. Um, support your local food bank. Support do do things face to face and local because I think we start we build we build we build better by building community um, locally and I think that increasingly finding local support is going to be really, really important. Um, and, but, but while that being said, um, for anyone that's listening, just know that like, I, I, I will have your back. Not anyone actually, probably if you're a white dude, like you're SOL. You're but, on your um, own. You're on your own. Never um, mind. I, I take just, it back. Just, just to augment that, um, actually, it's very timely because I was just looking uh, – a message came on for me from uh, Rob Baker, who is one of my fellow presidential innovation fellows. And he's he's rallying a group of the people who are already out of uh, federal government or are on their way out now 
um, to do things at the local level. And so he's asking me how to do a GitHub Jekyll um, solution so that we can start teaching people how to uh, aggregate links and information and resources to really get involved at the local level. He's really trying to rally people to get involved in local politics, local education, local uh, food banks, farmers markets, and stuff like that. So I, I think I think that's an awesome note to end this episode on. I think if if you need help on how to do this, you need need some direction. Uh, feel free to ping us. You can uh, we're easy to find, and we'll we'll help get you plugged in. Um, and for everyone listening, um, stay safe. <laughs>